when you get it right, what, what's really happening is you're helping people form stronger, more deep and meaningful relationships. We talk a bit about the strength of your internal relationships will help drive your external results. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou, and boy, do we have an incredible guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is one of me mates, one of my dearest friends. <laughs> he is probably the only man on the planet who has more energy than me. He is the <laughs> one, the only, the legendary founder of Aussie X. X Performance and his latest company, Performance by Design. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Emil Statham. Welcome to the show, Emil. Nikki, g'day, mate. How are you, sir? Thank you for that beautiful introduction. I don't know if I can live up to it, but thank you very much. Emil, my man, you are most welcome. And I'll tell you, that's one of the things we're known for on the show is the quality of our introductions because we've got quality guests to introduce. <laughs> so, and I know you real well. You and I have been friends. You've been a client of mine. Uh, and we've collaborated on a bunch of stuff together. And you are fantastic. And I know my audience is going to love you. But my audience is composed of entrepreneurs. My listener is an entrepreneur. He's a hero. She's a shero. This person is somebody who wants to make a difference in the world, who wants to bring their gifts out into the world. They want to make a huge impact and they want to create the life of their dreams for the people they care about the most before they can open themselves up to truly embrace you and your message. They need to get to know you. They need to get to know how you became the legendary Emil Studham. So tell us your backstory. How did you become the legendary Emil Studham? <laughs> well, uh, Nikki, my I'm obviously an Aussie. Uh, I I was playing um, a big fan of Aussie rules football. Played it all my life as a kid in my hometown of Wanthaggy, a big sporting town in southern Victoria. So, sport and family were a huge part of my upbringing. And then um, also physical education. I, I had a big love for just getting active and and just enjoying the the joy of getting. The body moving, irrespective of you know ability at sport, I just enjoyed getting active with various levels of people. Even as a younger fellow in in physical education, I just enjoyed that whole experience. So, after um, grade twelve and playing you know decent level of Aussie rules football, I ventured off into the city and uh, started to study kinesiology. And then um, you know I didn't I didn't make the professional league of Aussie rules football. It wasn't good enough for that. So after Trying to my, my hand at that, I decided that kinesiology was going to be my road to my profession. And then in a turn of events, I decided to come to Canada on a student exchange program back in 1999. A Canadian visited our lecture hall and 
I was listening next to my best friend Jasmine at the time. We looked at each other and said, let's do it. Six six months in Canada won't hurt us. Well, that totally changed our life. So came over, studied kinesiology here at the University of Western Ontario, fell in love with your Canadian people, in particularly your women, (laughs) and um, met a lot of great people who are now my best friends in my life. So for the next four to five years, I kept on coming back and forwards. Um, I finished my university degree in teaching, became a school teacher. In 2003, on one of my other trips back here, I started an Aussie Rules football team in the Ontario Australian Football League called the Etobicoke Kangaroos, which I'm happy to say still exists today. But also in 2003, I threw caution to the wind. I grabbed a bunch of Aussie Rules football gear from the, the professional league back home that was redundant. I shipped it over and I started teaching kids in schools how to play Aussie Rules football. Um, first started, actually, the first three schools I taught at were all-girl private schools in St. Clements and Havergal and BSS. And way back in 2003, girls didn't really play Aussie rules football. It wasn't a sport that was very much played by girls. Um, girls played netball in Australia and boys played Aussie rules football. But we found that all levels of ability loved this new experience. So after 2003, um, I sort of built this little business, but I, I remember my day one of my business, I was too young to rent a car. So I had this big bag, big Bauer hockey bag filled with footballs, went to the budget rent a car, and the guy behind the counter said, Emil, you're, you're too young to rent a car. I apologise. And I said, oh, well, what am I supposed to do with this bag of Aussie Rules footballs? So I caught public transport to the schools in the streetcar, the train and the buses. And in that year, we saw 11,200 kids play in our program, I employed a couple of mates and we had the time of our life. But for the next four years, I went home and was a school teacher, tried my hand at a few other things. But then in 2008, I said to myself, looked at myself at age 30 and said, look, I think I want to make more of this this little thing that I'd started in 2003. So I came back and started what was called Aussie X, which was Aussie Rules Football, Netball and Cricket in schools. And then in 2011, we were lucky enough to go on Dragon's Den. And that was a wonderful experience for many, many reasons. It gave us a great brand, a bit of brand equity. You know, the school started to recognize us from the show, but it was around that time in 2011 that all of my leadership gaps came to the forefront. I personally was struggling a lot inside my own company. I felt very alone. I wasn't having honest conversations with my staff. I was taking the work off them under pressure. And eventually it really got to me and it smashed me to the ground, to be quite frank. I got emotionally, physically, mentally trained and I I broke down. Um, And I looked at myself and said, well, the biggest gap that I have here is the honest conversations piece. I wasn't having honest conversations with everyone around me and it was hurting me to no other. And so in that year, I looked around and said, okay, I need help in this space and I looked at Australian professional sport where there'd been a big change in the guard. The, the sporting culture of Australia moved to a, a very player-led empowerment model. And I knew through family, friends and business associates of one of the founders, a guy called Jared Murphy, who'd since left the organisation but moved to England. And then I flew Jared over from the UK to work with me and help me have honest conversations with the staff and the team. And it changed my life for the better. And the company grew and I ended up moving into that sector, working with teams, mostly corporate teams, and helping them build high-performing cultures around this concept of having honest conversations. And and so that sort of got me to here today. I, I've, I've since sold my original company, LZX, called X Movement now. 
Um, it's still going and, and managing this whole COVID crisis. But I now am in business partnership with Jared Murphy and, a, and an Australian rules football legend in in Paul Ruse. And we now are co-founders of a company called Performance by Design, which works with corporate and professional sports teams to build high-performing cultures. And it's a wonderful job. And that's certainly my my pain has turned into my purpose, that's for sure. You know, I love what you just said to wrap up the Emil Studham backstory. My pain is turning into my purpose. I love that because you know what? I believe that each one of us becomes an expert at that which we struggle with. You know, and mm. in fact, I first heard that from another Australian, the legendary Matt Church, who created Thought Leaders right. Global and Thought Leaders Business School. He said, what gives you the right to be able to teach something is the fact that you've struggled with that yourself. If you were already mm. amazing at it, what the heck? You you really got nothing to teach people who are struggling with it. Isn't that correct? Wow, that's that's very interesting. Um, I, and I love Matt Church. I'm a big fan of his work, and that's uh, very, very true. Because, I mean, the, the lessons that you get through that struggle – just don't leave you. Uh, and I also think that the ability to build rapport with your clients and the people that you serve is far greater when you completely understand them. I think one of the modern day leadership's essential skills is that empathy and that's that understanding of the other person you know, and, and them feeling completely understood. And even recently, the last month or so, it's been a very challenging period for a lot of our clients, including us. You know, we've gone and taken our work virtual, so we're learning. And some of the real talk conversations that we talk about um, have been sensational. And they've been our clients talking to us and helping us get better and vice versa. So it's a very much a two-way street. But yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with, with Matt Church on that because um, yeah, I feel like I'm living that and, and growing from that every day. You know what, man? That is so powerful. This whole world has turned upside down as a result of COVID and the pandemic. And when it all went down back in March, we were all freaking out, right? We were thinking, we don't know what this is. It's killing a lot of people overseas. My God, they're saying it could kill hundreds of thousands of Canadians, millions of Americans. Okay, so you know what? Let's put the brakes on. Let's save some lives. And we all came together for a while, kind of like the world did around World War II, especially I was thinking about Britain and the great Winston Churchill, you know? I mean, in 1940, Britain stood alone against the Nazi juggernaut, against tyranny itself. And Churchill was the one who got up and said, hey, you know what? Freedom matters and we are going to fight the good fight even if we lose. But we're not going to lose because our way of life is superior to their way of life. And he went and he rallied the British people and eventually he rallied the world. And his most famous speech was the one in which he said, if the British Empire and its commonwealth were to last a thousand years, men would still say this was their finest hour. And for a lot of us, we, we came to the forefront and we said, okay, we're going we're gonna to come together. We're going to help people out. We're going to shut down the economy. We're going to do what we got to do. And we did that. And you know what? It looked like we saved a lot of lives and 
Over time, it became clear this wasn't nearly as dangerous as the government was telling us. Not even close, right? And it's, it's a real thing. It's killed people. Let's, let's, let's be clear. We're not saying this is not a real thing. I mean, my late father passed away in late February, and he stopped breathing, and he had a, a, a couple of uh, comorbidities, to use that inelegant phrase that so many of the public health officials have been using, was one of the things that was in place that probably caused him to stop breathing. So it's very possible that COVID had something to do with my father's death. So I'm not someone who says it's not a real thing. It is a real thing, but it's not what everybody thought it was. And right now, because of all the uncertainty that the governments have thrown up, because they haven't been able to emotionally admit that, hey, this wasn't as bad as we thought. They haven't been able to say, okay, let's let's pull back from this. For whatever reason, there's a lot of people that have been affected negatively by this, right? And it's more important than ever to have teams whether they be sports yes. teams or corporate teams, be able to have these honest conversations with each other so they can navigate through this whole period of uncertainty. Talk a bit about that and how you guys do that inside of the leadership work you do with folks. Yeah, it's, it's a great point. Um, you know, what we coin real talk is really just open, honest conversations about performance. Uh, and when you do that well, it actually it, – it actually builds enormous amounts of trust now, albeit difficult because we know that emotional and physical pain to the brain is the same, which is which is a really interesting point. And not a lot of people uh, understand or appreciate that that very fact. So as you're leaning into a, a conversation, it's difficult. Maybe you've got to talk about something that the person's not doing well, um, something's broken. You know, as you're moving into that, the brain is computing that much like it would physical pain or the threat of physical pain, when in reality it's just not true, is it? So in order to have those honest conversations, there has to be um, certain levels of trust, but also there has to be a good reference point for that conversation. There has to be a framework, if you will, around what good performance looks like. And because we're in the high-performing culture space, we see that as behaviour. So. We define culture as the behaviors that we accept and reward of each other. So in order to have a really robust, open and honest conversation or a real talk with a teammate, <clears throat> a couple of things have to be apparent that we have defined what performance looks like from a, a values and behaviors perspective, not just values, because we can still have different opinions in what discipline looks like or accountability looks like. But if we define that discipline looks like turning up to meetings five minutes early, then it's very clear. Five minutes early is five minutes early, irrespective of what we see disciplined look like from our own personal perspective. So that reference point around behaviours is really important. And then further to that, you know, one of the, the – when we look at the teams that have done well through this period – they've actually got good structures internally. You know, we call it a bit of a cadence of connection. How well have you set up your systems to enable people to have the time required to build that trust to have real talk? So those behaviours and that structure becomes really important. You just, you just don't want to take the chance on people connecting because in reality, people will generally move and connect with people that they feel familiar with, maybe they've spent the most time with, they have a similar personality to, 
But in reality of business, that's not always the case. We have to have real talk with with all different types of team members, whether they're new, older, we've got along with them in the past or we don't get along with them. To be able to navigate that conversation becomes integral to managing adversity faster and innovating as well. Innovating being, you know, that ability to face a problem, improve on what already exists and do it quite quickly. Without real talk, that all gets halted. We get stuck in arguing or we just simply don't have the conversation at all, which was what was my trap. I just wasn't having the conversation and I was either doing it myself or avoiding it altogether. So, um, yeah, the, the behaviours piece and that, that structure to enable the real talk is, is absolutely crucial and those leaders that are doing that well are the ones that are going to manage their way through this adversity better than, their, than their, um, you know, their opponents, if you will. You know, I believe you're absolutely correct about this. And I look back into my own experience inside a few companies that I have been a part of. So back in the 2000s, I started a fitness company with two Olympic gold medalists, Mark McCoy and Donovan Bailey, and another fellow by the name of Jordan Rosenberg. And on paper, it was a fantastic concept. The company's name was Transform, T-R-A-N-Z, the number 4M.com. And we were doing great. But we ended up having some differences of opinion on how things ought to be run, and we weren't able to have those uh, difficult conversations. And as a result, the company went kaput. You know, we never ended up creating great success, and it was a shame because we created a lot of great content, and we really had something unique and exceptional to bring to the world, but we weren't able to do it. And then. I started another company, eCircle, with my uh, former business partner, Michael Palmer. Great guy and phenomenal guy, you know, really, really good human being. But we also had some differences of opinion and we never talked them through properly. And we'd either not talk about them at all or we'd get into arguments and fights. And that caused our partnership yeah. to break up. And I'm looking back at this and going, oh, my God, I wish I'd been able to navigate through these situations, right? Because I'd have had two huge successes under my belt instead of two huge defeats, right? And, yeah, I know failure is an event, not a person, but still, you'd rather not go through that too many times. And now I'm working with my better half inside of eCircle, and she and I have created a, a new company, a new cluster within our company, yep. wanting to help um, – clinics and clinic owners and we were having some challenges surprise surprise right i'm the common element in all these things i get into arguments with people right and it wasn't yeah. working out too good but we got the opportunity to have you show us how you do what you do and in that one session alone you know, you made such a difference for us and you were doing this to teach us how to refer people to you, you know, but it ended up being valuable for us in terms of what we're doing for our company. And it's so easy for me to say, if you've got a team, you need to go check out Performance by Design because you are probably not having some conversations you need to be having or you're having them, but you're having them very badly. Yeah, or you, a lot of people, what we'll find is when we when we do our initial diagnostic, the first sort of phase of our integration, if you will, most of the time people are having the conversations, but they're not having them in the open. So John will grab Jane when he should be having a chat with Terry. And then John and Jane will create a little sort of um, mini team inside the team. And they'll be having the honest conversation, but not with Terry around. And then 
Terry might be grabbing on to Sally and another person, and then you start to get these little divides. The reality is people are probably having the conversation. People are probably thinking um, about bad, about the person who's behaving badly, particularly the high performer who's behaving badly because that's a, a big culture killer, isn't it? You know, um, the person who brings in, in a lot of the dollars um, – and the and the leaders won't hold them up because they go well. Why would we Why would we challenge Steve or Sally when they're bringing in a majority of our sales? But in turn, they're actually hurting the rest of our team's performance because they're internally behaving poorly and treating teammates with disrespect. Yet they're treating the client with enormous amounts of respect. How many times have I had in one of our sessions the team challenge that individual? Say, we'd love for you to treat us like you treat your clients. Our argument there is, well, if we get our internal behaviours and communication right, our customer service will follow suit. And so um, the reality is, as I said before, that people are having the conversations but they're not having them in the open. And and what that's doing is affecting progress because if you have it in the open, you can then deal with it and make decisions as a collective group and choose the pathway forward. Um, but that takes that cycle, psycholo- that structure to enable that psychological safety. And, and to your point there, you've got Donovan Bailey, an Olympic gold medalist, Mark McCoy, a, a, a gold medalist. You've got an amazing player of team. You've got amazing individuals who are very talented and, 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 and getting great results. But what you haven't got is the safety to have the honest conversation and an alignment around what behaviours drive team performance. So in a lot of the research that we follow from Google's two-year study to Dan Coyle's four years and a lot of Brene Brown's research is that safer teams beat smarter teams, teams that can stay in dialogue and understand that making a decision for the betterment of the team overrides who's the smartest. Uh, and we even see the Atlassian boys, the, the, the unicorn tech company out of Australia, um, have one of their key uh, recruiting drivers is, you know, no brilliant jerks. You can be as brilliant as you want, but if you treat your teammates internally with disrespect or behave badly, don't think you're going to join our team. So understanding that internal behaviours and, and communication drive your culture is a huge, it's a misunderstanding to be quite honest because a lot of people think that culture is about how well we get along, how good are our parties, do we have free food, is there... You know, all this glorified concept of culture that the Googles and the Apples of the world have brought to it. The reality is what drives high performance culture is an ability to hold each other accountable, create safety, to have honest conversations wrapped around a good set of team values and behaviours. You know what? Um, A safe culture beats a smart culture. Every time yeah. is so powerful, man, because you just don't get how important it is for harmony to exist on a team, for people to get that other people have their back. And here's the thing. Those people that we don't think are quote unquote smart, once they feel safe, once they feel that they are valued, lo and behold, they actually become smarter. Incredible how that happens, yeah. right? Absolutely. Well, we're smarter and stronger together. You know, irrespective of the individual smarts, when you can get a group of people to work together and feel okay to, you know, A, there's empathy, they feel understood, and B, they're, they're able to be vulnerable, which means they can put it on the table without the feelings of being ridic- ridiculed. Amazing things can happen. And that, you know, that, that's 
that safer teams beat smarter teams is being better understood but still still not completely uh, understood in, in many organisations that we work with. And that's what, that's what we're aiming to help them to get to, you know. Emil, it's not understood in uh, corporate culture, period. It's just not. Very few people understand this. The ones that do have an unbeatable advantage. And I'd say stronger together, safer together, smarter together. It could be the, a triple S type of a tagline. Stronger together, safer together, smarter together. It's a beautiful thing. And I think that the more people start to understand the kind of work that you and your colleagues do in performance by design and start applying it inside their organizations, the better these organizations are going to perform, the less uncertainty is going to persist, even in uncertain times like this, because everyone's going to feel safe and they're going to, they're going to feel like, hey, we've got each other's backs. So it's more likely that they're going to be successful, even in tough times. And to me, what performance by design does is so powerful. It's so important. It literally saves lives. It literally saves companies from going bankrupt. It literally helps them avoid things, nasty things like layoffs, you know, and permanent reductions in staff, right? It literally allows companies to go from tragic to magic in a very short period of time. That's why I believe so strongly in the work that you do. And the fact that you've got such a low energy guy like you doing it makes it a little bit tougher for everybody to, <laughs> to add up to it, Emil. But you know what? You know, these are small flaws. I'm kidding, of course. The fact that you've got so much high energy and you bring that energy into the work that you do makes it easier for people to want to engage with it and work together. I'll tell you, I'm looking at doing a new podcast in addition to this podcast, right? And it's a podcast focused on history. History is a dry, boring subject. You know what I mean? A lot of people aren't into history. But the problem right now is people are being taught the wrong history in schools, right? Our schools have been overtaken by a bunch of folks who aren't necessarily keen on teaching the real history of what happened in America and Canada. And I want to do something about that. So I'm creating a podcast that's basically going to bring the history of the United States out to the world. It's going to bring that history and it's going to bring it to people. And it's going to be something that I'm hoping parents are going to want to share with their kids and their kids are going to want to listen to it because the content is not going to be dry. I'm going to bring some energy to history and you bring energy to corporate work. You bring energy to training organizations to perform better. And it's that energy that gets people to want to engage with it and to want to be a part of it. Thank you, mate. Yeah, no, it's, uh, well, it's extremely enjoyable because I think at the end of the day, when you get it right, what, what's really happening is you're helping people form stronger, more deep and meaningful relationships. We talk a bit about the strength of your internal relationships will help drive your external results. And, you know, Bill Walsh, the famous 49ers, had that famous quote, you know, if the score will take care of itself. And what he meant by that is when you get your culture, when you get your internal behaviours and your respectful, honest communication right, the score will take care of itself. And we are we are big believers in that uh, because the market will change. COVID, things like COVID will happen. But the way we treat each other internally, the way we communicate, the way we support each other, the way we challenge each other, that's always in our control. The market and external factors are not. So I'd much rather be controlling the things I can control 
rather than worrying about the things that I can't. And when I said that before, that the teams that we've been lucky enough to work with and help navigate through this period, the ones that had strong internal relationships pre-COVID are going to come out of this whole thing, you know, actually stronger because of it, you know. Yeah, 100%, man, 100%. So, Em, let's talk a bit about what you believe the future of leadership and teamwork is in corporations in the rest of 2020 and beyond. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. It's pretty loaded up. The new workforce will be a majority millennials, as we, we talk about, and we hear a lot of the the rough talk of a lot of senior execs talk about millennials being entitled and uh, misunderstood and don't know how to engage them. They don't work as hard. They have all these preconceived stories. But the reality is we do know that millennials are actually very efficient. They will seek out the easiest path to resistance. So they're quite um, innovative. But I think we also get stuck in that hard work is ours. <laughs> you know, that's just not not the truth. So we also know that the millennial age love to be a part of something far greater than themselves. They they are driven by purpose, not necessarily money. They will choose lifestyle over money in their pocket. So we need to understand that um, building an empowered workforce, I think, is the new uh, name of the game, a, a, a workforce that feels like they are, A, a part of something bigger, but also, B, that they have input, that they're their words, their thoughts and are, are part of that journey and also that they're um, a part of the decision-making process. So it's funny, but watching the world move to more of this sort of model, I think, you know, to be biased, our work is becoming more and more relevant because it opens up those conversations and it makes everyone in the team feel uh, that their voice is required, that they're worthy. So modern-day leadership is around setting up structures to enable that safety for everyone to have their voice heard. And then when decisions are made, uh, make it clear as to why. Why are we making that decision and we're going in this direction? The more you can communicate your decision-making after being heard or after the team feeling like they're heard is very, very powerful. So that empathy and vulnerability plays a really big piece. But again, I think it comes down to this getting very clear on your values and behaviours. Our argument, Nikki, is that your culture holds it all up. You know, I think Peter Drucker was famous for saying culture eats strategy for breakfast. If any of your listeners believe in that, then they they should be they, they'll believe in our work. But if you get your behaviours right, you understand the variant, you know, the different people on your team, and you create the structure to have honest, real talk. That's sort of the foundation. We believe that's the foundation, your vision, your strategy, your KPIs or your OKRs, your recruitment, your induction, onboarding process, all of it will sit under essentially your behaviours and your really creates your culture. So that's kind of us in a nutshell. Get your behaviours right, understand individual differences, have real talk, and then you've got the foundation to build whatever it might be, whether you're selling widgets or an IT finance company, whatever it might be, it doesn't matter because if you get your people right uh, and that process part right, you know, our argument is that the rest of the house will, will hold up and the foundations will be strong.
So, um, I really like this. I think it's powerful and important stuff. And when you're speaking about millennials, for me, one thing comes up, right? And that's millennials seem to not fully understand um, the distinction between capitalism and socialism the way some of the older generations do, right? Um, we make no bones about it. This is a capitalist show. We believe in the free enterprise system, and we believe that voluntary exchange of ideas, of goods, uh, and of services, and of ways of doing things is what makes the world a better place. And when uh, the dead hand, dead heavy hand of the state gets involved, it messes everything up, right? And the truth of the matter is, we've got a situation here where millennials in many ways seem to love the benefits of capitalism and they are taking advantage of the creative destruction of capitalism to remake business. But when you ask them about socialism, so many millennials, a majority of millennials actually say they prefer socialism to capitalism. And I'm not sure they fully understand why they say that. I'm not sure they understand what socialism truly is because I think if they did, they'd be horrified to to say that mm. they're in favor of socialism because socialism is about using the dead hand of the state, is about using heavy, tyrannical, authoritarian means to take away the freedom that millennials say they want the most to be able to have a better lifestyle, to be able to, to create the type of company that is about making a difference for, for people and is about making a positive social good in the world and not just about making profits. All these things that they say they want out of a corporation are only possible in the capitalist system. And I'm wondering if you have any insights, because I know you've worked with a lot of millennials, as to why this is and what we can do as good capitalists to make sure that millennials understand the distinction between capitalism and socialism and, and understand it continue to be part of the constituency for free enterprise. Because if we don't have that, we're going to lose the ability to do the things that make companies great and make our countries great. Yeah, look, it's certainly not my area of expertise. Um, so I just want to put that caveat on there. But I think that there, at the end of the day, it's a bit of an end. You know, we can we can make a profit and we can, we can live with purpose. And I think that yes. the successful companies do a good job at and identifying, you know, as Simon Sneak talks about, you know, our why behind why we're doing what we do. Yes. Um, and, you know, making a profit and, and being able to provide, you know, the more successful you are as a business, the more people get employed. And I know that, you know, a lot of my, a lot of our clients, and even I used to think back when I was part of Aussie X and X movement, we'd have 50, 60, 70 people at a time working for us in the busy periods. I would have our, you know, team events. I'd look around the room and I remember an old Italian, my, my mother's Italian and I, I do, I do resonate um, with the older Italian generation because my grandfather and my old town was sort of half Italian back in, back in the day. But um, I had another client back in the day who sort of talked about mouths to feed. He was very proud of the, the, you know, 170 odd mouths that he fed. And, and when I got to a certain point in my company, I, it did feel really good. You know, and, and and also at the same time, Aussie X and X movement was helping, you know, children who hadn't made a connection to physical activity make that connection irrespective of their ability of sports. So not only were we helping kids get active and have a better, you know, outlook on life, if you will, we you know, we 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 fed a few mouths at the same time. So I think it's a it's a bit of an and I think to to draw the line and make it it's either this or that, that's where that's where a lot of our problems I think in general come from 
that it's it's either that or this. That, that's just not reality. Um, and I think this mix of a capitalist society with with social good is is important. And we do know that the millennials do want something. They do want to get some behind something that is adding value to people's life. I think that if they're going down the road that they choose socialism over capitalism, I think to your point, I don't think they fully understand what they're choosing. <laughs> well, listen, we're talking about social good versus socialism. Socialism is yeah. about the government taking over. The means of production is about the government telling you what you can and cannot do, is about the government picking winners and losers, is about someone other than you deciding what that good for society is. And I say the creativity of the entrepreneur is the only thing throughout history that's ever lifted up societies, right? Social good and capitalism go hand in hand. Social bad and socialism sadly go hand in hand. I mean, if you look at Cuba or Venezuela, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but Venezuela, there's it used to be one of the richest countries in this hemisphere. And there's people that are eating out of garbage cans since the socialists basically took yeah. over. And we can't have that. And yeah, I, I think it's important that we allow millennials the freedom, not just the freedom, but the encouragement to go out there and push for social good, push for a better world, and use the free enterprise system to do it, but also understand the distinction between socialism and capitalism, why one works and why the other doesn't. And I think it's really important because the millennials are the future. They're the generation that in five, 10 years, they're going to be in charge of everything. And yeah, we want to make days. sure yeah. that they understand what made you know Canada great, America great, Australia great, England great. And it is having a conscience, but also having the means to put that conscience into action to make the biggest difference for the most number of people, and that's the free enterprise system. Anyways, I'm off my soapbox. Yeah. So, Em, I'm really enjoying this conversation, <laughs> enjoying talking to you. So if folks are interested in finding out about performance by design or having their company bring you in to do some work with them or, or, or at least exploring how they could do some work with them, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, look, our website is performancebydesign.co. Uh, we're based out of Melbourne and we have a Toronto office where I am now. Um, my email address is just my first name, Emil, at performancebydesign.co to field any questions via email. But also we do offer a free 30-minute uh, culture audit where I take individuals through a, a set of questions and uncover, you know, what are those driving levers of their culture that are, potentially holding them back and what are those levers that are driving them forward and that will show up in behavior but that's a, a conversation that's more than just a couple of easy questions um, when we get to understanding what our values look like in behavior you've got to dive a little bit deeper and and really ask yourself well what does it look like what do our values look like in real time so more than happy for anyone out there who has a team of people that are looking for a bit of a competitive advantage and to take you through that 30-minute experience. In, and I'll give you a couple of tools after it to use, irrespective of whether you want to continue the conversation or not. That is certainly on um, and is certainly available. I'm on LinkedIn. I post on there weekly. I set out a, a weekly video with a couple of little tidbits around how to use the knowledge from those videos. So LinkedIn's a good play, platform to see um, us in action, I guess, in the fundamentals of what we what we teach, but not so much what we teach, but what we apply you know, leadership and culture is not a, a getting, you don't become a great leader, you don't get a great culture, you do a great culture. It's a behavior and processing, much like leadership, you you do great leadership, right? So 
everything that we're doing is designed to be put into practice at any given time. And we also, Nikki, recently released the Culture Couch. Um, Paul Ruzow, our AFL legend business partner, was very famous in Australia for being um, on an Australian football show called uh, On the Couch, where he and a couple of experts would talk about footy, as we call it, every Monday night. And so since he's left the media, uh, we've now created the Culture Couch. So on our website, you can click on the Culture Couch and you can see a number of various clients of ours as well as very high-profile um, sports people jump on the couch with Ruzi and Jez and myself and they talk about um, you know their individual journeys as leaders and their own individual journey managing and developing high-performing cultures. It's a really great watch or it's a podcast as well. You know, I love it. I think that's fantastic. So, listener, make sure you take advantage of this. Emil Stottom and Performance by Design and Ruzi and the rest of the team, they are the real deal. So, make sure you take advantage of the Culture Couch. Make sure you go to their website and take advantage of this, uh, you you know, culture audit. I think that's brilliant, you know. The culture audit is a fantastic thing. Um, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna rebrand one of the things we do and call it a, a thought leader audit and a heart leader audit. You know, I think it's really good stuff, Emil. Yeah. You're teaching me a couple of things today, so I much appreciate it. So make sure, listeners, oh, yeah. you take advantage of it and that you go and do one of these culture audit sessions with Emil. And Emil, we like to end off each and every single episode by asking you as our guest expert, what are your top three expert action steps that you recommend our listener take on to take their life or their business to the next level? So what do you say? Number one would be get clear on your behaviors. Whether you are an individual or within a team, get clear on your individual or team behaviors that drive you forward. And by that, a simple way to look at that is ask yourself, you know, How do you want to be described as an individual leader or as a team? Get those descriptive words and ask yourself, well, what do they look like when I live them? What does discipline, accountable and and inspiring look like? Whatever your values words are, what do they look like in behavior? So get very clear on your behaviors, whether it's as an individual leader or within a team. And if it is a team, do it with your team, okay? Secondly, We would challenge you to dive into the profiling world, understand and develop a new level of self-awareness. We use insights discovery. There's DISC out there. There's a number of other tools. Uh, We love insights because it keeps it clear around the four quadrants. And when you understand more deeply about yourself, um, your your strengths, the, the traits that you live easily and give you energy versus the tasks and jobs that that deplete your neurological energy, you then can understand those around you better. But also you understand where you go to under stress and under pressure, which is really important for today's modern day leader to understand where individuals go to under pressure, how they like to give information and communicate. So dive into and understand the, the benefits of profiling. Ray Dalio talks a lot about it in principles. Profiling is number two. And then number three, um, it's really around setting up structures that enables that sort of psychological safety to have honest conversations with those around you. Okay, now if you are an individual, that might be with a mentor or a coach, but if you're inside of a team, what are those structures that you can set up that creates that safety, 
to enable honest, what we call real talk conversations. So clear team behaviors or individual behaviors, understand yourself and individual differences around you with profiling and then structures to enable real talk would be our three key drivers to building a high-performing individual or a high-performing culture. I love it, Em. Those are three fantastic expert action steps. So we're going to put those plus how folks can get in touch with you and get that culture audit going for themselves in our show notes, okay? And the show notes are powerful stuff. So listener, Emil Studham is the real deal. He's got this crazy, funky accent. He's got incredible energy. <laughs> His nickname is Dragon because he was on Dragon's Den, you know, and they offered him money, which is super, super cool. This is a guy you want to learn from and you want to emulate. And here's the deal. If you're asking yourself, how do I take some inspiration from Emil? Well, listen to this podcast and put into action what he just told you. But the other thing you might be thinking to yourself is, well, how do I turn it into money? How do I commercialize it? How do I monetize it? That's a great question because after all, we are good capitalists on the show and we want you to make money, a lot more money than you're making now. And I believe that you want to make a lot more money than you're making now. You want to have a bigger impact on the world. And for you to be able to do that, the thing you need to do is you need to go and make sure that you understand how to take that genius you have within you and bring it out into the world in a way that's commercial. And the way to do that is to go to our website, eastcircleacademy.com. We have a free masterclass. It's 59 minutes long. It's free. Bring a notebook. Take detailed notes. It is not a giant pitch fest. There is a couple minutes of pitch at the end, and the pitch is to get on a call with me. So it's not actually to buy anything, to get on a, on a complimentary coaching call. 57 minutes of it, though, is packed full of good tips, tricks, action steps that you can take to build a blueprint, to take your expertise, your genius to the next level, so you make a lot more money than you're making right now, and you get to have a way bigger impact. Take advantage of this. Go to eCircleAcademy.com. Watch the masterclass. There's a button smack dab in the middle of the page. Take advantage of that. There's a, a free report button there for six steps to grow your expert business. Take advantage of that. That's free as well. And heck, then take advantage of jumping on a call with myself or another member of the team so we can help you take that genius within and turn it into a beautiful commercial amount of money because you are a good capitalist. You believe in the free enterprise system and you deserve to make a lot more money. M, it's been a lot of fun having this talk with you, my man. And we Absolutely. definitely want to have you back, okay? Sounds good, my friend. And listen, let's bring your buddy Rusey on this. This guy sounds like he's a cool <laughs> dude, eh? He is. So he is. we're going to have to do it at 6 in the morning my time or 6 in the morning his time given the time <laughs> difference. But what the heck, it sounds like it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Thanks again for having me, mate. Much, much appreciated. It was awesome to be on here. Yeah, man. It was fun to have you on. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's incredible guests, go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com. Check out the show notes. And to watch that webinar masterclass or to jump on a call with me or a member of my team, go to eCircleAcademy.com and click on the respective buttons that show you how to do that. Until next time, goodbye.